0: Hello Football Alaturka listeners, Um, we're here with a bonus episode for you uh, today. We're very lucky and grateful to have uh, Semra Hunter with us today. Um, Semra is the current um, host of La Liga TV, which comes unscripted and live um, every Friday evening through Saturday and Sunday, talk about the events of La Liga and there's always good conversation on there, um, being of an unscripted nature, there's always... Some fun happening. So, um, Samro, uh, good afternoon from the UK to you in Boston. Now, how are you doing?
1: Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Thank you very much. So, we want to uh, dive in. So, for our listeners who may not be familiar with yourself and, and the work you do, um, mm-hmm. we know that you grew up in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, and we, we grew up a, a, an only child. And then we know that your, your parents encouraged you to participate in sports, um, so I thought it would be a good way for you to like, make friends and create those personal sort of relationships at a young age. And how was that for you?
1: Exactly. You're right on the, uh, the money there. My parents always encouraged me from a very, very young age to pick up sports. I think on the one hand, to lead a healthy lifestyle, um, but on the other hand, to meet people and to make friends like you said um as I was an only child so my dad was always really really athletic and so I remember learning how to ski when I was maybe two or three years old he would take me out on the slopes and he would teach me you know the pizza formation going down and I remember going down to the baseball um field and then just he would throw some balls at me and I would practice my batting and we were always playing sports uh, me and my dad and it was, it was really nice. I mean, I had a very active childhood. I was always out and about doing something, being with friends, playing sports. And I met a lot of people that way. And it was like a nice way to create my own sort of family, if you like, um, with friends. And so it, it was a great foray into the world of sports as well. And I was really hooked. I played all sorts of sports. When I was a kid, I played tennis, um, I did swimming, which was not my favorite thing to be honest with you, but, uh, also did tap and jazz and ballet, which I also hated. I'm not a ballerina. I'm not very flexible, not very good at dancing. <laughs> so that led me into football or soccer, you know? And at the time when we were really young, three, four, five years old, it was basically just what my parents would call swarm ball because it was just a group of us just huddled around the ball in the middle. You couldn't even see it. And we just kind of moved back and forth up and down the pitch. But that's really what sparked my love in sports, and it's gone all the way through until present day.
0: Excellent. So um, if we have any listeners that, are, that they maybe are like a parent to an only child or they know someone, um, how important would you say it is for them to like, get their children involved in these kinds of activities? Obviously, at the moment, we're, with COVID, it's a little bit difficult yeah. for those gatherings to happen. But once we're past it and back to some sense of normality, um, how important do you think it is for someone who's now looking back on how they were raised um, around sports for children who don't have any active brothers and sisters to Mm. be in that environment?
1: I think it's super important. And whether you're brothers or sisters or not, I think being sports and living an active lifestyle is so healthy, especially nowadays where we have these really young generations growing up with a telephone or some kind of technological screen in their hands and more and more and more you see people kind of becoming isolated or spending all day long in front of a computer screen uh, computer screen playing video games which is not a bad thing but you need to have a balance you know I mean I I played video games when I was growing up but I had that balance where maybe I would do it for an hour or two but then I would also go out and play sports for several hours and so I think it's a really nice way to make sure that you look after yourself, that you are active, that you're outdoors. And it makes for a very nice, happy, healthy living. And it's a nice way to also make friends, of course, to meet people and to socialize, which is something that I think in society, depending on where you live, is starting to erode away a little bit because of all the technology and since we're so inundated with it. I think it's massively important. And I think as soon as COVID and this whole pandemic finally we were able to overcome it, it should be an active part of, of a child's life, I think. And if I were to have kids, I don't have one now, but if I were to have one, I would most definitely get my kid, boy or girl, involved in sports, 100%. Fantastic.
0: So you mentioned these, these sports that you played um, growing up. Um, I noticed you, you left one off, um, um, which was which a was volleyball Mm. Um, and, and and we know that you won the Junior Olympics aged age seventeen in two thousand and four with your club volleyball team. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> we've done some research. <laughs> we were to come. <laughs> I see
1: that.
0: Two questions. Um, so if you could just tell us how that how that was being part mm. of, of of a winning team, and maybe speak a little bit about the the mentality. Uh, that the team had. Um, we know you mentioned that you had the the core of the team was together for mm-hmm. like less than three years. You say so, um, and if you could maybe just speak about that and how that the core of the team could apply to maybe other team sports and how important it is how, to have that core established.
1: Sure. So the reason I left that volleyball was because I actually started that sport much later. I started when I was about ten or eleven, um, and yeah, for the next few years, the next, the two sports that really became my prime focus were, were football or soccer and, and volleyball. And I was very fortunate to grow up in an area that is like the Mecca of volleyball in the U S especially when it comes to beach volleyball. So I was playing indoor and I was playing beach volleyball. A lot of Olympians, they train in Manhattan beaches, which is where I grew up. Um, My high school in particular had a very long history of being very successful. Uh, One of the best high school teams in the country for about 20 years, leading up to the point that I joined the team. It was very competitive. It was very serious. You lived and breathed football, uh, volleyball, sorry. Um, And so my club team was like an extension of that, but Mm. to a much more serious degree, The club team that I was part of, I think it was our first year, we actually won the Junior Olympics, um, that I was with them and it was a brand new club. So within the first year, straight away of assembling a team, we won one of the biggest competitions around. And my coach was an excellent disciplinarian. He was almost like a drill sergeant. At times you kind of felt like you were in the military or something because he was constantly on us And was very strict about our diets, our training. We had to mix weight training with with regular volleyball training. We would spend hours in the gym on a regular basis, several times a week. You really lived and breathed the sport. And I mean, I think I remember going to sleep with like a volleyball underneath my pillow or at least (laughs) close by or something like that, you know, I mean, to dream about it. Um, But we were constantly running drills. We were always looking after our physical condition, but he he implemented such a winner's mentality in all of us and he created so much competition for places within the team that it helped to foment that that competitive mentality and mindset i mean we were really hungry we really wanted to win and we were very good we were a team with a lot of talent and so i think the main thing is that we were very driven we were very driven to win um And a lot of us wanted to play in college. We wanted to go beyond just the club level whenever we were older. And most of us did. I took a different route, but a lot of my teammates ended up going to play for very big teams in college. Um, And even beyond that, professionally, when they were in their early 20s, mid-20s. So I was always surrounded pretty much from a young age, from 10 all the way until the time that I decided to stop playing. I was surrounded by champions people who are winners who won at a high school level who won in a club level and so because it was such a high level um expected of you you just sort of rose to the challenge and i'm a serious competitor i may not come across that way a lot of the time but i really am a very serious competitor especially in that kind of setting and so even now i think in some ways having that discipline and learning to be disciplined at that age has really helped me in my own life. Um, And I've carried some of those lessons with me all the way up until now. So it it was a really intense period of time in my life because you get up early, you go to training before school, you go to school. Then I would drive an hour out to practice um, because it wasn't really close to where I was living. And then I would be there for about two, three hours and then drive home, have a late dinner and go to sleep. So it was like this for a few years, but it was what I wanted. So I was very happy with it and obviously happy with the outcome too, because it it, it led to to winning (laughs) trophies and competitions.
0: Exactly. I mean, uh, what type of um, coaches and players in in football, soccer right now, do you kind of almost identify with having that Mm. same kind of mentality that your your coach when you won the the Junior Olympics had and then... teammates that that you played with.
1: there's one that comes straight to mind and that would be Diego Simeone definitely Diego Simeone
0: what is it about him that that you see in him that you think that reminds me of my my volleyball coach he
1: he lives the sport so intensely he lives the game so intensely during a match. You constantly see him trying to fix things and understand what's going on. And, and he has wonderful game management as well. But he's so intense, that personality. My, my coach had that similar kind of intensity. He was hell bent on winning. And I think part of it was that he had a little bit of personal vengeance with some of the other, <laughs> with the other yeah. coaches at other clubs where things in his past, they didn't necessarily come off. Maybe he was the second string behind one of the other coaches who had gone on to be very successful with other girls' teams. And so you always had this faint hint of like, he's he's out for blood, he's out for vengeance. He wants revenge, but he wants to do it vicariously through us. He wants to prove that he's better than everybody else. And so to do that, he needs to make us believe that we're better than everybody else. To some degree, he was kind of like an underdog. And I think that Diego Simeone, to some degree, with Atletico Madrid, is kind of like an underdog, even though he's done unbelievable things with this team and with this club over the last eight, nine years. And they've come so, 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 so close to winning the Champions League, haven't they, a couple of times, that eventually... You get, you get the feeling that it's possible it could still happen for him, maybe with Atletico Madrid, or maybe if he decides to move on to another club at some point. But he's an amazing coach. And yes, he's very defensive. And I would say in that aspect, I mean, they're totally different sports. Mm-hmm. But I mean, our coach was not so defensive. I mean, we was definitely much more launched and attack. But I think it's more the, the, the personality that reminds me so much of what I went through. With my volleyball
0: coach. Excellent. Now, um, do you still keep up with like the volleyball um, championships? Um, we know um, it's a very popular sport in Turkey, and mm. believe it is probably i say the top four or five. You've got like, football, basketball, probably weightlifting. I think because there's a history of being good in that and in the Olympics in Turkey. Right. But also, volleyball is extremely popular, and um, it's always very well followed. Um, the the big clubs like your Zarabaje, Al Beshiktash Besiktas all have volleyball teams as part of the mm-hmm. sports club. Um, I know that is true for uh, the Spanish sports clubs as well, such as your mm. Barcelona, Real Madrid. They have their basketball teams uh, aligned with them and their volleyball teams. Do you still keep up a date with like how what, tournaments are going? Maybe Olympics.
1: To be honest not as much as i used to yeah. i was much more into it maybe in my early 20s um there's a in a, a male olympian by the name of eric from who came he was very big oh, this was a long time ago maybe 20 years ago or less than that maybe 15 years ago but he was an olympic champion and i actually used to work with him um he had created a foundation to help um underprivileged children and to help them with education, but he mixed it with teaching them how to play volleyball. And so I actually, I used to work with him and his cousin Albert. And so in that sense, I was very tied into the community as well as my coaches were (laughs) trainers and coaches of Olympians as well. I mean, it's a very small community Uh, in Los Angeles. If you play volleyball and you're up in that upper echelon, everybody knows everybody. And so, you know, Misty May is another one who I followed for a long time because she was just unbelievable. I used to go to her college games when she was at Long Beach. And I used to watch her because she was a setter and I was a setter. And so she was my model, my reference. And she went on to do amazing things, winning the Olympics several times alongside Kerry Walsh and Kerry Walsh was married to one of my trainers Casey Jennings so I mean it was in that sense when you're so plugged into it I used to watch a lot more because I had a direct relationship with these people with these people and I was being trained by them Donald Suja was another one he's an Olympic indoor champion as well and he was my coach when I was at another club called SCVC when I was a little bit older so yeah when i was still living in the states when i was still living in california and i was still playing i was much more into following the ins and outs of volleyball on an olympic level both indoor as well as beach volleyball but since i moved to spain and my life has taken a completely different course and i've been out here for so long now um i've sort of lost touch with all of that i still actively talk donald for example someone i actually talk to all the time Oh, um, and I still talk to some of my teammates every now and again, but in general, I, I don't really follow it that much anymore. Not to the level of obsession that I used to <laughs> once upon a time.
0: Excellent. Well, so, uh, um, moving on, just want to talk about sure. how you got into your journalism, um, career. So, um, we know that you had an unfortunate accident. Um, Which kind of might maybe uh, put the bed uh, dreams of becoming a professional athlete, but still, you know, loved the sport, wanted to be involved in it. Um, And we know that uh, the story comes around from watching the NFL with with your mother um, Mm -hmm. and her saying to you, Sam, you'd be a really good, like, pitch side reporter. And I kind of, you know, that light bulb moment goes off, it lights the fire. um, And then we fast forward. Um, you're doing your masters in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, you go and have one of these tours around one of like the production companies in Spain, and following the tour completion, so you've got in your mind that this is an industry you'd like to get into, and you stay behind and you know chat with the boss, saying, um, you know, how does one make their way into this type of industry, um, and that then one thing led to another and you mm-hmm. found yourself, um, interning. Um, so for anyone listening, who's maybe thinking of getting into uh, sports journalism, that kind of industry, um, how important is it to, um, make those connections and, and, and network? Cause essentially you, you took a, um, a trip, you know, you sound, i am to speak to this, this boss and see what they can tell me, how we can get into the industry. So, tell us a little bit about how that trip went, what was going through your mind, um, and how you would maybe give advice to people wanting to get into the industry.
1: Sure. So a little bit of a backstory just to lead into it. Um, As you mentioned, it was my entire life's goal and dream to become a professional athlete. And because of that accident that I had, I wasn't able to fulfill that dream. I still played, but at much less serious and competitive level. Um, but it left me very lost for a few years because I, I, my entire life, that was always my one focus, my one obsession. I had never thought of a plan B up until then. And so then all of a sudden I was faced with the, the reality that I needed to come up with a plan B. <laughs> so it took me several years to do that. Um, when I went to college, I decided that my... I was going to pursue my other passion, which was travel. And so that led me to studying international relations. But by the end of four years, I realized how much I hated politics. So that was, that yeah. was out um, so, yes, yeah, so it was a few years of sort of figuring out what to do next, and I think a lot of us have come to that point where we go into college or we at a young age have a such a clear idea of what we want, but then something happens, and all of a sudden it 's stripped from us, and we don 't really know what to do, and we get a little bit lost so that 's where I was at in my early twenties um, and as you say, it was my mom who sort of planted the seed of I mean, you love to travel and you love sports, being a pitch side reporter, that would be perfect for you. And I thought, wow, well, I, had, I never thought of that before. That's actually a brilliant idea. Moms so, are right? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, that's what moms are for, right? <laughs> so, fast forward a few years. Yes, I, I find this master's program. It's in Madrid. I moved to Madrid. Um, and again, this goes back to be, me being really competitive. When I'm really laser focused on something, I'm incredibly ambitious and incredibly competitive, but with yeah. myself, yeah. okay? First and foremost, with myself, not with anybody else. And so I, for me, it was twofold. On the one hand, I wanted to break into the industry, and soccer has always been my number one love. I mean, volleyball's right up there with it but I've always really, really loved football. And I think because I started when I was three playing and I grew up watching the Premier League, I grew up watching the World Cups, it's always had something very special um, about it for me. And um, so I wanted to specifically break into football in Europe and being an American and not having a passport, I really had to find a creative way to stay. And that meant that I had to be really on top of things and really ambitious about finding work so that I could leverage that into getting a work permit or something so I could stay in Europe. Because everybody that in my, my master's course, for example, most of them were Spanish or had come from South America, they had dual citizenship, so it wasn't so much of an issue for them. But for me, it was, I had a very small window of, okay, I've got my master's and I've got six months after that uh, of my student visa to basically find a job and stay put. So when I went to that tour at the production company, which funny enough is now where I work, um, but in Barcelona, the, the boss showed us around and everything. And I already knew going in that day that my objective was to talk to him, let him know who I was, make him remember who I was, and do whatever I possibly had to do to make sure I could get my foot in the door. I was not leaving that day without some sort of connection established. And I think that's really important for people who wanna get into this industry. Connections are huge, they're everything. You never know where it's gonna take you. And so it's so massively important to meet people and to leave a good impression because you're planting seeds all the time. You're not necessarily going to reap what you sow in a very short amount of time. It could take years. You have to have a lot of patience. And my boss then, well, he then, that, that guy, that boss, he ended up becoming my boss. And even now, all these years later, he still gets in touch with me and puts me forward for idea, puts me forward for events, puts me forward for jobs. And it's amazing. And I owe so much to him. And I have so much gratitude because if I had never had that conversation with him that day, I guarantee there's no way I would be where I am right now. That was a huge life-changing moment for me. So be bold, be brave, go after what you want. If you're passionate about it, make it happen. But do it in the right way, you know? Make sure you leave a good impression, be positive, be optimistic, put yourself forward, do the work, do whatever it takes, because all of us start at the bottom. Nobody starts at the top. And so I was willing to do anything. And they were quite keen to bring me in. And I was able to offer something a little bit different too, in that I was native in English, but I was bilingual and nobody in the office was. So it's important to also offer something different, offer something that nobody else can do. And that allowed me to grow exponentially and very quickly as well too, within the organization. So connections, massive, massively important.
0: And you mentioned that during that um, initial phase, you said um, you ended up at the Atletico Madrid Barcelona game at the the Vicente Calder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I butchered the pronunciation there, so <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but, um, so, from initially getting your foot in the door to then arriving, you know, at this huge game in Spanish football, and that first kind of like, would you say that was the first kind of taste of? I don't want to say the word big time, but that's the only thing that's come to my head right now. But how did that feel when you were in that situation and you thought, wow, did you feel like you had like, made it or did you think this is the <laughs> start and
1: I just want to experience this again and again and again? It was a huge mix of emotions because it was only two months after I started my internship. So I was still finishing up my oh. master's. I had zero experience, was very, very, very green. I was brought in and I started out translating scripts from Spanish into English or writing scripts directly in English to two months later, all of a sudden being in front of camera to an international audience in the US. And it was absolutely petrifying, (laughs) I won't lie to you. I was so scared, but it was, For me because i had built it up so much in my head i thought oh my god this could be a sink or swim moment you know i've never done anything on television before not even like a practice run not even an ads live nothing pre-recorded nothing it was thrown straight into the deep end of the pool and it was sink or swim and the whole thing happened within a matter of three days so i get a phone call i think it was a thursday And they said, hey, can you come in tomorrow to the office to do a a screen test? And I was like, okay, what's it about? And they were being very coy and not really giving me much details. And that already made me really nervous. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to study everything just in case. (laughs) I'm going to go in super ultra prepared and I'll just be ready for whatever they throw at me. So I go in the next day, I'm in the studio and I've got a guy in my ear and he's, Throwing questions at me as if he were based in the studio and I were pitch side. And he's talking about Atlético Madrid, he's talking about Real Madrid, he's talking about Barcelona. Okay. It wasn't the greatest thing in the world, considering it was the first time I'd ever done anything like it, but it was passable. So then they said, okay, great, we'll get in touch. That night, they said, okay, tomorrow, Vicente Calderon, Atlético Madrid, Barcelona, um, you're going pitch sides and you'll be live for being Sports. And I was like, Oh, my God, (laughs) it was the most incredible feeling and the most terrifying feeling at the same time, if that makes any sense. I spent all night preparing pages and pages of notes, reading front to cover every single sports daily that was possible, trying to remember everything, just pack all this information into my head because I had no idea what they were going to ask. And I said, could you find out, you know, uh, at least give me some kind of a reference as to what they're after so I don't have to go completely crazy. But so the Saturday morning, they come back to me and they're like, okay, we're going to ask you this is this. And I was like, all right, cool. So I had already prepped everything and it was fine. But then five minutes to air and I'm standing pitch side and I'm getting ready and everything. They're like, oh, no, no, they're going to ask you this. And I was like, okay. And then live, they asked me completely different questions. So it was completely chaotic. It was fine. I got through it okay. But it was, you know, it, it was a really big moment for me. I definitely didn't think I had made it. I mean, I was only just starting out, but I thought for sure that it was the right step in the right direction as to what I had wanted to do and what I had wanted to achieve. And I thought, well, if I can get through this and I can get through it well enough, then that means I've done something right. And they'll They'll bring me on again, you know, <laughs> from here, I'll just kind of go keep building off of, off of this. Um, so it was a really fascinating eye-opening experience for me, um, but one that I will always cherish for sure. I mean, it was, it was a huge game. Barcelona had come in off of just winning La Liga, so Atletico Madrid there, then the pasillo, which is whenever they do like the passage of honour, the guard of honour, whenever the champion yeah. comes out. I mean, it was, it was a really special day. It was a really special game. Um, but I was so nervous and it was so hot and I had so many mixed emotions that the next day I ended up getting sick. So <laughs> so there you go. But, but a lot has changed since then.
0: It is. It must have went well because then you find yourself at Real Madrid TV for um, a couple of years. Yeah. So, can you just tell us about how your time was there? I know you say you went on the, the preseason tours mm. to Australia and China, which are really great. Um, but in that, that time at Real Madrid TV, can you just maybe tell us some of like your, your highlights and, and what it was like getting the, the call to say they would like you to come on board to mm. be a presenter there?
1: so i had before i started my master's program i had a really good friend who had a friend who worked for eurosport and she said oh you know i think he did back back in the day it doesn't exist anymore but about 10 15 years ago there was a masters that eurosport had that was done in conjunction with a with a university in madrid and her friend had done that masters and it opened the door to him eventually going on to work there And she said, get in touch with him and he'll help you out and tell you what you need to know and how to get into the industry and so on. So I reached out to him and he said to me, if you can get into Real Madrid TV, because it's a launch pad, it's a trampoline, it will get you to bigger and better things down the road. And so before I even started my master's, I always had my mind set on, okay, that's my target. Real Madrid TV is my target. And so I had spent the whole year working towards that. And yeah, I was, I was very lucky. I mean, it ended up working out really well. They caught wind of me and they rang me up. I, was, I hadn't even gone to them. They, they came to me and they said, oh, we've heard about you. We would really like, like to bring you on board. We have an opening. Um, we're looking for someone. I was like, yeah, sign me up. So it took about a month to organize everything. And then I came on board. So I was there for two and a half years. And that's really where I got my my learning badges, I guess you you could say. I mean, it was starting from the ground up completely. And I started with going to training sessions every single day for about a year, um, writing stories, writing scripts, uh, doing these little reports on trainings. And then quickly over time, I worked my way up to studio hosting and studio presenting, which to be honest with you, wasn't something I had really ever thought of until that point in time. I'd always thought about being a pitch side reporter. Um, so it opened the door to so many different kinds of experiences and ways that I could grow and the ways I could be really versatile because I was editing, I was producing, I was writing, I was presenting, I was reporting, I was doing everything short of just filming myself with a camera. Wow. Um, But for me, some of the highlights would definitely be the proximity to the players, being able to establish a relationship with them, a working professional relationship, that is, and being able to interview them on a regular basis, or the same with with managers. I was there with Carlo Ancelotti, who was someone I absolutely adored. For whatever reason, he always reminded me of my dad. And so I always felt this weird familiarity with him. (laughs) He was always very he made you feel immediately he just disarmed you, made you feel really relaxed and comfortable and and I was lucky I was I was there doing a very rich part of the history of the club of, of Real Madrid, you know. He came in right after the the hurricane of Mourinho, if you wanna call it that. And he brought so much peace and stability. And they won four titles or four trophies in that first year in 2014. Um it it was immensely immensely fun to be there i covered the champions league this is another highlight mm. um because i was starting out i was i was based in madrid they sent one of the more senior um presenters out to to lisbon for that game and it was the big one against atletic madrid the first time and i remember i started out in the Santiago Bernabéu bernabeo pit side they'd invited fans to come to fill up the stadium they put this huge four-sided cube screen thing in the middle of the of the pitch that was massive so people could watch the game so I did all of we did this huge I mean it was like maybe 17 hours long it was something ridiculous like that we started at or no maybe now it was like 12 hours we started at five in the afternoon and we finished at 7 a.m the next day and we went straight the whole way through and so yeah Went from the Bernabeu down to Cibeles. we were up on a tower, we were prepared for if they won, we, we were going to do, because the team always flies back, comes straight to that plaza, and they celebrate on an open a top bus and, and all that kind of stuff for the fans. And that's how it was. We were waiting and waiting and waiting and doing live coverage for hours all wee, into the wee hours of the night. And it was just, it was tremendous. It was amazing. I mean, being up on this this tower and, and seeing the whole team ride in on this bus and then go up onto Cibeles and seeing this like sea of you know thousands, tens of thousands of Madridistas, it was an incredible night to remember. Um, and then obviously the preseason. The preseasons were probably the single-handedly best thing that I got to do when I was with the club. So,
0: was that the game where? Atleti were one nil up until more sequels in the last minute with the header, right?
1: Exactly. The famous, what is it, ninety-four twenty-eight, I think, or ninety-two forty eight? I always look at the numbers backwards. But yeah, that was the famous Sergio Ramos goal that took them into extra time. And then that was that was all she wrote. Wow. Save them at the last minute.
0: What was it like in the stadium? Like, um, can you describe it to us? So you're You've got the fans are in there and you know, they're losing 1-0. It's right. the Champions League.
1: Well, right. at that point, I actually wasn't there anymore because I was only there for the first half. And then for logistical reasons at halftime, I had to go down to Sibelius and get set up yeah. for the end uh, of the game. So at that point, there wasn't really too many fans milling about because they were still watching the game. It was, uh, it was more when they came down afterwards that it was like a huge party, this huge festival. There was music and a stage and people were entertained and everybody's out drinking and having a good time. Yeah. And, and this, was, this was La Decima. This was one that they had been after for, I think, oh, how many years had it been at that point in time? I think something like 12 years. It had been a really long time. Yeah. And so it was just a massive, massive cause for celebration. And it was really good fun and certainly a very special, special night.
0: And then they went on a, a run of just winning yep. it so many times. Um, as well. <laughs> um, so from Real Madrid TV, you then find yourself in, in Istanbul. Um, hmm. So you end up at um, Territory World. Um, yep. So... How did that, that come about from, from Real Madrid TV to Territory World in, in Istanbul? And for our, for our listeners, can you just tell them a little about your, your Turkish heritage as well that you have?
1: Sure. So my grandfather is Turkish, born and raised, lived his entire life in Turkey. Uh, my father was, let's say, conceived in Turkey, but born in the US <laughs> um, back in the 50s. It's quite an interesting story, but um, my grandmother was from an American family and my great-grandfather had a job, two-year contract in Turkey, and so brought the whole family and that's how my grandparents met. Um, But because she was so young, they, when the contract was up, they went back to the States, but she was pregnant. And my grandfather tried to leave Turkey but he wasn't able to. This was a time when I think there was a coup, right? Happens right after the time they left. Nobody was allowed to leave Turkey. And it was also like a whole set of circumstances that never really allowed him to leave. So in the end, my father was born and raised in the US. And my, my grandfather always stayed in Turkey. Um, so, I mean, I, I, since I was a baby, we used to go every single year to visit family and to visit my grandfather in particular. Yeah and vice versa, he'd come out to the US. Um, So I already had a very long, deeply established connection with with Turkey since the day I was born. And i had been to Istanbul many, many, many times and to Ankara and to other parts. And I've always loved it and always felt like, like home in a way. Um, And so this opportunity presented itself because Funny enough, people at work knew, I mean, they obviously knew my Turkish heritage, but they thought I would be interested. And I said, oh, there's this brand new channel opening up in, in Istanbul, TRT World, it's an international, it's done in English. Um, you know, would you be interested in that kind of thing? You might want to look there. Because I had been in Spain at about eight years at the point, and I was honestly a little bit tired, and I had wanted a bit of a change. Um, and so, I thought, why not? I'm going to try something new, go to, I mean, because at the end of the day, the club channel is a club channel. It's, Mm -hmm. it's very small. And you, you reach a certain ceiling and that's, you're limited. You can't really do much more than that. And so it was a great experience, but I felt that it had kind of run its course and I wanted to move on to that next level. So that was part of the decision-making process too. Um, So I applied and that was basically it. Got the job and decided to go. <laughs> so, <That was> <laughs> yeah. Figured, why not? Let's try something different. Let's, let's try something new.
0: And whilst yeah, you got to work on a brand new um, a show that they had, so um, Beyond the Game, so mm. um, just getting started, getting off the ground. Um, so what was that like to um, go to a brand new company uh, mm-hmm. and then to work on a brand new product? Um, did you enjoy that? ability to be able to, to innovate and bring your own ideas. Mm. Um, and, and how was that experience for you working at, at territory World on, on that show? We know you've done some, some great reports. So you did um, football golf, which we, which we
1: saw. One of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite thing I think about the newsroom was how international it was. I mean, there were people from, I think, maybe a hundred different countries, a hundred different nationalities were represented. And, and I've always grown up in this sort of international environment. And I've always loved that. I've always been attracted to, to um, learning about other nationalities, other places, traveling, all this kind of stuff. And I think that's what I most enjoyed, was meeting people from all over the world and learning about where they were from and their culture and their traditions and their language and, and histories and all of that. And everyone brought something so different to the table, which was really nice. So it made for a very creative environment because people had very different ways of working and doing things based on where they had come from. Um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed being part of setting up this, this show because when I got there, it was still in its infancy stage. It hadn't even started yet. We were still looking for a name. Um, and we were piloting all different types of formats and what we wanted it to look like and what was going to be. And it it was a work in progress the whole time I was there. It kept evolving over time. We never stopped evolving, um, trying to make it better all the time. Um, So for me, that was really fascinating because it was something that I hadn't really done at Real Madrid TV because it was already kind of established, the shows and, and the way of doing things. So here it allowed me to expand my horizons a little bit um, and to continue learning in a different way. So I really enjoyed that a lot. And I enjoyed my role because I was it was presenter and correspondent. So, or anchor and correspondent, which was more the official title, but anyway. So either I was in the studio and I would anchor this, this program, Beyond the Game, um, or I was off traveling to wherever, you know, to Europe, to the Middle East, to anywhere to cover feature stories, to cover sporting events, to do interviews, which to be honest, I enjoyed a lot more than the studio stuff (laughs) because you get to meet so many fascinating characters. You get to go to countries never would have dreamed of going to Um, Albania, for example, which was a really random trip, but it was a fascinating country and I I really enjoyed going there. Um, So I had a wonderful time. And it really pushed me and my and my abilities beyond what I would have imagined, to be quite honest with you. It was a very enriching experience and I was there for two years in total, um, but it was overall, it was largely a phenomenal time for me, both personally and professionally.
0: Fantastic. And um, we know you, you, uh, you've been to some of the major Turkish stadiums in this double, so you've mm-hmm. been. Let's um, say so you've been at the Farabach Stadium, in the yep. Stadium, Bishikta Stadium, um, covering for the European matches. Um, we've seen scenes from when Pachitash were champions. Mm. Uh, you were there, so you got to see uh, the fans going crazy in the streets, and also when the farabach basketball team won the final four. Um, so, you went out to cover that and you got to see the fans celebrating that. So, how do you compare those, the fan celebrations, to what you <laughs> in uh, Madrid, for example, when they'd come back from winning the Champions League?
1: So different. Yes. It's next level in Turkey. It really is. I mean, the passion there, it just oozes out of every orifice of, of the Turks. I know mean, such passionate sports lovers. It really is something. But. I really enjoyed it. I mean, you, there were flares all over the place, but at the same time, you see the little kiosks of people selling the uh, the corn and <laughs> corn on the cob, like really random Turkish things, you know, or like selling oysters on the street or, you know, you've got to get that before you go into the stadium before you go into the ground. Or the simit, you know, the simitis were my favourite things since I was a kid. Um,
0: Love those. I'm sure everyone yeah. loves those.
1: <laughs> so it was such an interesting mix just walking down the street and, and seeing these fans just go absolutely mental and you know, flags and people honking their horns all over the place. And, uh, it was a lot more chaotic. I mean, it's organized chaos in Turkey, which, which is a really hard concept to explain unless you experience it, but I'm sure you know what I mean. I um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, it was a blast of so much energy. There's such a good vibe and, and people are getting along and everyone's singing and they're talking to each other and everyone's hugging each other and kissing. It's, it's much more vibrant, I think, than than the experience that I had in Madrid with fans. But I mean, I mean, they were having a good time and partying just the same, but it was a little, it was different. It was different. It wasn't as wild and crazy, I think, as Turkey. where you had people climbing on things and top of cars and top, posts and all this kind of stuff. And I remember actually years before that, I think it was 2008, the Euros. Turkey had actually done really well and they had gone pretty far. And I was living in Turkey in Istanbul for a summer for three months. And I think they played Germany, if I remember it correctly. Final, they won.
0: It was... Cro- was it? Croatia, they beat on penalties in the quarterfinals.
1: Yes, okay, that's what it was. And they qualified for the semifinals or something like that.
0: Yes, where they played and lost to to Germany.
1: Germany, that's what it was. Okay, okay. So close enough. (laughs) But I remember the night that they won. I just didn't remember where they had played. So Germany was a semi-final. Okay. But that was one of the craziest nights I have ever seen in my entire life anywhere. (laughs) Because in Turkey, I'd never really gone that far in any major competition, club competition, or not national team competition at that point in time. It was huge 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 deal i remember walking down the street and people were just handing out these huge turkish flags to all of us i think i still have it somewhere just handing out all sorts of things and it was madness but it was so much fun and it was great i mean we went we were in we watched the game in bebek and then had gone all the way back up to taxim which you probably know is quite a distance but oh, yeah. passing through or passing through all the different neighborhoods it didn't matter where you went the streets were completely filled with people just celebrating this huge triumph for the national team and it was nice to see everybody get behind it to be so supportive and just absolutely living it as if they had played the game themselves so uh,
0: yeah you people remember the the sweats on Fatih Tereb's shirt fought <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. it a lot in the uk where i live watching it um, and yeah it was since like turkey came third in the world cup in 2002 and the kind of turkish mentality crept in where you're you near hmm. you your the top of the mountain and you get yep. a bit complacent and, and a bit too big for your boots and then yep. they were brought back down to earth with not qualifying for euro 2004 and then euro 2008 came about um yeah, the initial game was lost to Portugal and then back-to-back wins against Switzerland's The Hosts and that crazy game against the Czech Republic mm. um, coming from 2-0 down. Um, and yeah, the quarterfinals, I mean, you meet a Turkish fan of football, you, you tend to ask them a few questions. You you say, where were you when Ilhan Nancy scored the golden goal against Senegal? Mm. And where were you when we beat Croatia on penalties? Yeah. Um, so.
1: I remember exactly where I was that night. <laughs> and then even better, I was in Spain like a week later whenever they won 2008 Euros. So I got both celebrations. I got the Turkish celebration, <laughs> the quarterfinals, and then I got the, the, so the big one whenever they actually That was, that was a sight to see. That was way crazier than everything, anything I'd ever experienced with with Madrid, because that was the first major title that the Spanish national team I think had ever won, or if, if I can remember correctly. But I mean, it was it was massive, 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 massive. Two thousand eight, they were crowned champions. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was, I remember the police actually shooting rubber, rubber bullets at people because wow. it was just getting so out of control because people were shooting off fireworks and, and flares and it was so packed and it was so ruckus and they were celebrating all along through the night. I mean, it was largely a party atmosphere. It was all, you know, I was in the midst of it. I never felt I was in danger or anything like that but it definitely did get a bit
0: up. <laughs> what, what was it like? Because you know, the Spanish national team almost had a monopoly on international tournaments oh, yes. with the 2010 World Cup and then the 2012 Euros again. Um, so we'll, we'll wait to see what happens hmm. next summer with them. Um, you mentioned earlier um, that you're not um, adverse to playing video games yourself. Hmm. Um, we know you worked for Konami as well covering the pro Volusian soccer like league world tour um and just just get your thoughts on what you think about the emergence of esports and hmm. how important it is for clubs um, to have um esports division um hmm. and you know some of those streaming events went on for 11 hours and we, were you there for the <laughs> whole 11 hours and how did, how did that work out
1: i was there for even longer <laughs> My and yes it was it was 12 hours of straight live streaming and um it was it was incredibly fun it was a very rewarding experience the people all across the board were lovely to work with the players themselves were fantastic they were really nice humble laid back you know just normal people not like you get in the real football world let's say um and it was a delight. It was, it was an honor to be part of something like that. It was a big deal for them. And, yeah, it was one of the most interesting things I've ever done because it was a live event, a live competition, which is so different to what you do whenever you're in the studio. Um, but it was also extremely exhausting. By the end of the day, I think my brain was just completely fried. <laughs> Um, because you have to be on it all the time. You're, in, you're there to entertain. And so you're giving everything that you have, every last ounce of energy that you can put into it. Um, I mean, it's completely worth it. It's completely worth it. It's, it's a great time. But esports are a very interesting industry. I mean, it's it's been booming for a while. It's only going to get bigger, that's for sure. Look at Lull, it's filling out what sixty thousand seat arenas? I mean, it's it's insane, uh, and it kind of goes back to the very beginning of our conversation, where I have nothing against esports at all. I mean, like I said, I played video games growing up, and I really enjoy them. But I think, like anything in life, there needs to be a healthy balance, and so I think there's no stopping this giant that is coming our way that's already established and it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and they're projecting that at some stage it's actually going to overtake football as like the most watched most followed most played sport in the world which is so mind-boggling to think but it could happen so it doesn't surprise me at all that clubs are getting on board and creating their own esports teams. And they train almost more intensely than than regular footballers. I mean, I know some that it, they spend twelve hours a day in front of their computer screen, just playing, just playing FIFA, just playing PES. They train all day long. and for me, it's just it's it's so hard to get my head around it. Um, because I just I I worry a little bit that it's not like the most healthiest lifestyle, but maybe it's because I just don't know that much about it. I'm looking from the outside in, but you know, at the same time, they say that they eat healthy, that they exercise they make sure to get fresh air. And so, I mean, I think as long as you do that and you look after yourself, then it's fine. But it's very interesting to see how this all develops because it is so different, I think, from what you and I grew up with. in some ways, it feels almost hard to relate to people who are in their 20s, 10 years younger than me or teenagers growing up. And, and, and they have this complete different perspective of, of, of gaming and sports, e-sports than I think we did. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's quite fascinating, really, for me
0: to be honest with you. I can say there are people that are being born now who are being born into the internet where...
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And, you know, I I started using the internet when I was around maybe 13, 14 years old. Exactly. Um, And before then, it was you go to your friend's house and you knock on their door during the school holidays or after school with football under your arm or basketball or whatever sport, and you're like, Go Let's go park? down to the park. Exactly, have a kick. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's completely different um, perspective and yeah. like, on them. Um, so before we move on to like the edge straight, um, we have to ask you: um, Are you um, a PES or FIFA person?
1: Oh, okay. Well, I grew up playing FIFA. I'll be honest with you. FIFA ninety eight was probably my favourite game of all time. Um, but then making the switch over to Piz and having worked with him and knowing people, I mean, I fully support them and I fully support what they're doing and I'm I'm very happy for them to continue growing the competition and growing the game and, and to make it bigger all the time. So I guess now I'd have to say Piz.
0: And who is your go-to team when you're, you're playing, who would be like your number one pick to select?
1: (sighs) Probably Barcelona. Yeah. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um <a> secret. I, <laughs> yeah, <cut> that
1: <laughs>
0: I always go by Munich for some reason.
1: Well, um, uh, well it's ununderstandable. You look at the real Bayern Munich, they're absolutely terrifying, aren't they? So yeah. you just figure, okay, I'm just bringing out the German steamroller and <laughs> and I'm good to go. <laughs>
0: back from the the Van Bommel and Luca Tony days. Um, just because Van Bommel had a Great shot stats on him, not as good as Adriano, as we know. Hmm. A lot of people say Adriano's left foot was almost a cheat code in pairs <laughs> back, back back in the day. Um, um, but then you've at Territor World and then you are now uh, presenting a mm-hmm. La Lega TV. So how did that um that jump again happen? Was that something um that was planned or again where you got headhunted? Did you get a call? And and how has that been now being the, you know, the face of of La Liga for so many people globally now?
1: It was, it was one of those things that for me felt like the stars aligned um, and right at the right time. I had always thought about wanting to cover La Liga as a whole. Mm. even when I was back at Real Madrid and so when I was working for Real Madrid I was I was still following La Liga in its entirety I was following what was going on with all of the other teams I was watching the games I was always really interested in the league as a whole Um, and I always thought back then I thought oh this would be great if they if they created this La Liga TV and I used to make jokes with my parents at the time naive as I was, like, oh, one day I'm just going to go to the La Liga headquarters. I'm going to say, hey, guys, why don't we do at La Liga TV channel, you know? Um, so I thought about it for years before it even happened. So I went to Turkey to continue my growth. Um, but I always knew I wanted to come back to Europe. I wanted to stay with European football. So even when, when I was with TRT and I got to cover a lot of different sports, my main sport was still always... Spanish football and European football. Um, so I was sort of like the resident, I don't want to say expert, I don't like that word, but sort of like the resident journalist that focused on, on, those, on those leagues. Um, so towards the end of the two years that I was in Turkey, I was already thinking about going back to Spain for a couple of different reasons. One being that I was in a long distance relationship uh, with my now husband, who is from Barcelona. We met way back when, before I even moved to Madrid. So at that point, we had done five years of long distance. And it was quite honestly taking its toll on the relationship. So it was one of those situations of like, okay, someone's going to make something happen here. He tried to come out to Turkey. It didn't work because... There was a coup. <laughs> and then there was all sorts of bombs and attacks and all of that sort of stuff. So we agreed it was not a smart move for him to come out. And if anything, I should finish my time, do the full two years, and then go back to Spain. So I actually left with nothing lined up. Okay. Um, I just decided to throw a caution to the wind. And I said, you know what, I'll just go back to Spain because I want to be with my partner. And try and build a life with him and we'll see what I can build for myself professionally. But I was incredibly lucky that I had a phone call a little bit before I moved back here um, from a former boss of mine in Madrid who said, Hey, they're creating La Liga TV. You're perfect. I've already put you forward for the job just to let you know, (laughs) (laughs) because I figured you, I figured you would want it. And by the way, it's based in Barcelona. I was like, Oh my God, you know, talk about planting seeds years in in advance and then it it coming to to, to fruition. And so that's kind of what happened. And so I got an email from my now boss saying, hey, you know, giving me all the details about the channel. They said, we would really like to include you in the project. Are you interested? And I said, well, I'm actually moving back in two weeks. So as soon as I'm there, let's meet for coffee and let's do this. And so that was kind of how it happened. I moved back in February of 2018. They were in the very infant stages of the channel. They were only doing match commentary and I think two shows in the studio or something like that. And it was very limited in what was being produced at the time. But they said, we want you to come in and be the match day presenter for the weekends starting next season. So I was meant to start in August. So I had like a six month waiting period where I was just kind of hanging out in Barcelona and doing some freelance work, like with Konami and with the PES League competitions and so on, just biding my time until I joined La Liga TV. And so that's more or less how it happened.
0: an amazing story. And it's like you say, it's the planting those seeds and making those contacts from early on in your career. Um, then coming back and um everything coming to fruition um yep. at the moment so uh, how is it like um at the moment doing doing the show with regards to the obviously we've got the fans in the stadium yeah. and um so can you just tell us about how that has kind of impacted um the way you have to approach um presenting the show nowadays at the moment
1: COVID has definitely changed things. Um, but at, at its core, football is still football and still what's happening on the pitch is still what's happening what happened before. Um, it's not the same without fans. That's 100% for sure. It's just not the same. Um, but by the same token, I'd rather have football in these conditions than not have football at all.
0: I totally agree. Um,
1: And I think it's still a nice way. I mean, people can still watch the games from home. They can still be engaged and it's still a way of being entertained. And, And I think it's a nice escape from the really harsh reality that we're all living in right now. These are really difficult times. And a lot of people have been locked in their houses for months. They're taking the confinement thing very seriously. They're hardly going outside. And so I think football is a really nice mental break for people to kind of switch off and just relax a little bit. And so I actually think it's a positive thing, you know. Um, Players and managers are still getting COVID. Diego Simeone's had it. Um, Álvaro Cervero, manager Cervera, who was a manager for Cádiz, he's also had it. Several players have had it. Um, Thankfully everybody's come through on the other side and everybody's been okay. And I think it's inevitable. At some stage, all of us are probably going to get it. Um, But in the way of preparing what I have to do in the studio and so on and the coverage, it hasn't really changed too much Um, because we focus on what happens during the games. We focus on what happens, you know, from a football point of view. And so the only main difference is, yeah, when you watch a game, there's an empty stadium. And so we have really interesting um, graphics Really quite cool graphics, actually, that La Liga have teamed up with EA Sports and I think a Norwegian company or something like that to, to put these really interesting fake crowds and, and fake noise and all that kind of stuff, which helps to make this experience a little bit more close to what we're, we're used to. It's still not the same, but it's not, it's not bad at all as a replacement one um,
0: think that I was going to ask you about you've got this great new technology for this new season hmm. you, you, you may have people may have seen it on the youtube channel um with la Liga's graphical and enhancements with hmm. augmented reality, seeing play statistics in real time um and how how is that um, adding to the enjoyment of the game, or do you think some people might see it as a um, a touch too far so
1: I think it's too early to say, to be honest with you, because a lot of these technological enhancements, they've only been using, we're only, we just finished match day two. So we're only two match days in. Um, I've been watching it. I, I'm not bothered by it at all. I think it's actually kind of interesting. They'll show you the heat maps, which is something I think that has been around anyway for a bit of time. They'll show you maybe the percentage of the tags or how many tags they've made down the left, down the right, down the center. I think it's for me, and I don't say this just because I, I worked for La Liga, But as a viewer, as a fan, I actually find it interesting. But then again, because I really like stats. So for me, I I find it fascinating. Maybe for somebody who doesn't really, is not bothered by that sort of thing. It's neither here nor there. Um, I think it's, I don't really know the answer to that question just yet because I haven't really spoken to enough people who've watched it to get their opinion as to whether they like it or not. Um, But I think, commentators like it because it gives them an extra resource. and Definitely, yeah. Uh, and personally, I like it too. So, we'll. Yeah, I mean, we'll see.
0: We'll wait to see how people get on with it. Um, exactly. So coming to the end of our time, so thank you so much. You know, we've overrun a little bit. So um, <laughs> just some quick top threes um, okay. to finish off. First things that come into your head. So let's start with top three football stadiums.
1: Top three, po- oh, okay. Oh, that's a tough one. Wanda uh, one, the Metropolitano, the Camp Nou, and the Santiago Bernabéu. All three of them are for sentimental reasons.
0: Excellent. Um, next up, your top three live goals that you've seen.
1: Oh, Gareth Bale. Um, 2018 Champions League final in Kiev against Liverpool. Bos- he, uh, sorry?
0: Sorry. school kick.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That was, I swear to God, time slowed down before he, yeah. he kicked the ball. I swear to God. It was one of those things. I just saw the ball floating. I saw him floating and it's just like for a split second, it just like froze. And you just knew it was going in before he even struck the ball. You just knew it. It was one of the craziest things I've ever felt watching a football game before. It was unreal. That one is a very difficult one to beat. I have to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a Cristiano Ronaldo goal in there somewhere, yeah. as well as Gareth Bell again. Gareth Bell scored an absolute belter at the Santiago Bernabeu from like 20, 25, 30 yards out. It was unbelievable. I mean, everyone just, the defense just kind of stood still. It was just like, you know, top left corner or something. Like it was it was unbelievable. Um, and a Lionel Messi goal. Of course, yeah. you've got to include in there.
0: I, I cannot That's argue quite a with the collection at all. And, um, and being in the UK, we get to enjoy <laughs> Gareth Bale in the premiership now. Um, yes so i know it's our last three,
1: don't
0: remind me <laughs> from you. Um, and i'm gonna go the last top threes is um the top three interviews you've done with, mm. with sports uh, sports people so don't have to be footballers um because i know you've uh, interviewed some people from every line of sport so the, the top three ones that uh, come to mind for you
1: that's a really tough one. <laughs> <laughs> my number one is always going to be Javier Hernandez because he was my, my favorite player for a very long time. From the day I set foot in Spain and I learned who he was and I started watching Spanish football back in 2007. Um, I absolutely adored him, especially because I played central midfield. So for me, he was the one I felt I could relate to the most. Um, fabulous player fabulous player and I always used to make the joke that if I ever interviewed him I could retire because I would never do anything better <laughs> <laughs> but I was very lucky in that I got to interview him three times uh and quite early into my career so uh not retiring <laughs> anytime soon
0: we're glad you didn't take that earlier <laughs> thank
1: you oh the other two goodness oh, it's really tough I mean I've been I've been very fortunate. Um, Maybe someone who made me laugh a lot was Arrigo Sacchi. I
0: would not put him down for someone to... Yeah,
1: know. yeah, I know, right? Um, he's very different when you meet him in person and he's very Italian. Yep. Um, so you can just imagine the sort of flattery that comes along with, oh, a young, attractive woman who's going to be interviewing me. I'm going to turn on the charm, you know? I mean, it was all very correct and professionally never yeah. overstepped any lines but it made for a really fun interview because he yeah. was very relaxed and open and 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 yeah told jokes and interesting stories so I, I really enjoyed i enjoyed that one the <sighs> third of... one
0: now these we, we know that these, I... these will change on a daily basis so it's just what uh, you're, sure you're, this is just what you're feeling right now
1: uh let's say Usain Bolt yep Usain Bolt he funny enough in my master's program we had to do story um you know we had to practice filming ourselves with our, our phones and stuff like that and I did a story in Usain Bolt uh, I don't even remember why I picked him but I did and it was the first project I'd ever done filming something, you know, filming myself or doing anything on screen. It was about him. And then I ended up getting to interview him in real life. So that was pretty cool. And then I just sort of made this really terrible joke about him going to play football at Mantis United. So at least they got a rise out of him. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, he did have a few games um, for the, the Australian team, didn't he? So yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: He did accomplish um, that goal of playing professional football. Hmm. And um, to finish, we have... We've had the top threes and we, we've got a bonus question that okay. was in, in part shaped by, by, by your friend, Sam Johnson, who we, okay. we, we, we reached out to on Instagram. And we know when you were living in Turkey, um, the apartment that you're living in was known as the, the talent house because it was all on air talent that would live a few apartments above each other. And we know that you have a great love of the food delivery service. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oh my god, this is so embarrassing! <laughs> yes, my Uh-oh. colleague used to joke all the time that I had, um, what was it, like a, a stakehold in the company because yeah. I was ordering all the time from Yemeksepeti. Uh,
0: what we want to know is your your top Yemeksepeti order before we let you you go because we've taken out far too much
1: of your time. Oh lord, my top Yemeksepeti order, oh. I always went for a very wide variety of food to mix it up, but... Ah... Oh, God, I don't even remember. I think, funny enough, it was Japanese food. There was some really nice Japanese food uh, restaurants in, in, in Istanbul. And since I was always a bit tired of Turkish food after a while, because really it was so heavy. And so carb-based. It was nice to eat something a little bit different.
0: Definitely. Well, great. And also
1: the coffee. I used to get some coffee orders too. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Those were delicious.
0: Can't not have a good Turkish coffee out there. How did you have your Turkish coffee, by the way? How did you take it? Orta. Orta. Fantastic. That's a great way to have it. Maybe some yep. Turkish light on the side. Yep. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us um, today for Football al Semra. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, let our listeners know where can they, they find you on social media and, and tell them where they can watch you presenting La Liga before you go.
1: Sure. So you can find me on Twitter, at Summer Hunter. You can find me on Instagram, same thing, at Summer Hunter as well. Um, and La Liga TV, depending on what country you live in, if you're in the US, it's on Be In Sports. If you're in the UK, it's on Premier Sports, Sky and Virgin, I believe. It's in a lot of different places. Yep. Um, if you're in Africa, it's on Supersport. And if you're in the Middle East, Be In Sports as well. In Australia, same thing, Be In Sports.
0: Fantastic. Well, we wish you all the best for the upcoming season. Um, yeah. Lots of successful broadcasts. Um, a successful season of football, and um, again, thank you, for, thank you so much.
1: Oh, thanks to you. A real pleasure.